0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Perfect Faith Podcast. I'm Kirk Klingerman, your host, and glad to have you with me. This is uh, episode four of season four, and we're picking up where we left off in our podcast version of Perfect Faith, his faith, not ours. And we are jumping into chapter four, and we're going to jump in right away, because this chapter is a little bit longer than some of the previous ones, and We want to give more time to it than the introduction. So, without any more introduction, here we go. Chapter 4, Receiving the Promise. Instructions So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, verse 17. When faith comes, one must do according to what was heard. There is a time to act, and a time to wait. When we receive a promise from the Lord in our heart, it is important to realize it is not our duty to bring it to pass. Moreover, it's possible to lose hope by attempting to bring the promise to pass on our own. When someone acts independently of God because he thought he had to do something, calling it faith, and it doesn't materialize as expected, discouragement may set in. It's the old, I think someone should do something or it won't happen. Sound familiar? The I-thinks can get us into a lot of trouble. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you? Received you, the Spirit, by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit, and works miracles among you, does he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, Know you, therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham? And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. The word obey in verse 1 means to believe, trust, have confidence, and to let oneself be persuaded. It also means to yield or to be content and is the root word for both believe and faith. Another possible rendering for verse 1 is, Who has bewitched you that you should not believe the truth? In the beginning, the Galatians received the truth by faith, later Judaizers deceived them into incorporating the works of the law with faith. Galatians 3.12 tells us the law is not of faith, while Galatians 2.16 says that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, and not by the works of the law, for, the works, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. The law of Moses was instituted for people who did not have faith, and you'll find that in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 20. By the law came the knowledge of sin. The law came that we might come unto Christ and be justified by faith. The law was accomplished by the works of the flesh, or dead works. The blessings of Abraham are received by faith through Jesus Christ, not by trying to obtain them through some faith formula Or any other effort on our part. If we try to chase the blessings of Abraham instead of receiving them through Jesus Christ, we enter into covetousness, which is the same as idolatry. Remember, God has enough blessings for everyone. We don't have to covet someone else's. He has something specific for each of us. The ability to receive the Spirit and minister by His leading is done by faith. And that comes by hearing, not by what we think we should do or even want to do. This has to do with obedience, which is more than merely carrying out a task that is given. It also relates to the attitude behind what is done. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? Romans 6, verse 16. Obedience means to listen attentively with belief, while purposing to conform to the will of God out of love for Him. It is an act of volition on our part while we seek to please Him. This word is also found in Romans 1, verse 5, Romans 16, verse 26, and Hebrews 5, verse 8, to name just a few. It conveys the spirit or attitude in which things should be done before the Lord. Given the above definition of obedience, would it be considered true obedience if we were to murmur and complain while carrying out an assignment? Could we stand before the Lord and say, I did what you asked me to do and still call it obedience even though we were whining about it the entire time? There remains therefore rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. That's Hebrews 4, verses 9-11. through We enter into his rest by ceasing from our own works. Essentially, our labor is to keep from doing our own thing in the name of the Lord while calling it an act of faith. It's one thing to do a good thing. It's quite another to do the right thing. We can initiate all kinds of good things, but they may not be what the Lord intended us to do. Wouldn't it be best to wait for the Lord to do the initiating? People often wear themselves out in the name of ministry or by doing things which the Lord has never asked them. As stated before, there are individual callings in the body of Christ. That's why we don't go about doing things simply because we see someone else doing them. This also applies if we're asked to do something, let's say, in the church. It's a good idea to pray about it before committing. Those who commit to something they're not called to may have some impact, but not to the extent they would if they were actually called. At some point, they may very well burn themselves out. Telling people no is seldom very fun. However, sometimes we need to say it because it's God's directive. Keep in mind, there may be those times we will be called on to say yes. As a word of caution, please do not use prayer as a cop-out because you don't feel like it. Telling people, I'll pray about it, and then never getting back to them, Is not a good idea. There are times we're asked to do things because the Lord actually does want us to do them, even when we don't feel like it. Don't confuse activity with works of faith. Let's reiterate a point here. Trying to bring the promise to pass in your own strength is nothing more than impatience, which may indicate doubt or unbelief. Initiating activity without hearing from God leads to dead works. It may also lead to unwanted results. The proper way to bring it to pass is by waiting on Him, which is not passive. It's an active anticipation of His next move, while waiting for His direction, then acting upon it in the manner He sees fit. Soon we will discover walking by faith includes obeying God even when His direction seems contrary to the promise. Jesus is our example, and he only did what he saw the Father do and spoke what he heard him say. Unless the Father led him, he waited. Ceasing from our own works also includes ceasing from our own way of thinking. We can picture in our mind how a vision or a promise is supposed to come to pass, yet it may be totally different from God's intent. Furthermore. It means letting go of control and allowing God to move in ways that suit Him. People become emotionally drained when they insist on things being done their way, and when they aren't, they become exasperated. Other times, they begin to walk in fear instead of faith. Fear often works like faith, but in a negative direction. It's important to realize God sees the whole picture. He knows where we're going to be before we get there and how to get us where we're supposed to be. We can get ourselves going, but we may wind up in the wrong destination if God isn't leading us. Thankfully, as long as our heart is open to Him, He can get us back on track should we derail ourselves. Unknown By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. Hebrews 11, verse 8. More often than not, faith calls us away from the familiar and safe. When God calls us to receive His promise, it usually means the days of our comfort zones are over, so we can enter into the comfort of Holy Spirit. Like Abraham, we can be placed into an impossible situation where only God can do the impossible. He gets all the glory and no one else. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get you out of your country, and from your kindred, and from your father's house, into a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3. Abraham, then Abram, was promised that the blessing would come after he left his home. The Lord didn't bless him first, and then send him out. Walking by faith often means not having our proverbial ducks in a row. Too often people are robbed of untold blessings because they refuse to believe God for the provision. Give me the provision, then I will go. If I see, then I will believe. Because they refused to believe first, they failed to receive and, of course, failed to see the promise. Provision is more than finances. It covers the spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical aspects of life as well. Trusting and believing God is based on a decision. We must decide we are going to trust and believe. Otherwise, we would not be exhorted to trust and believe. At the age of 75... Abraham departed as the Lord commanded before having the promised in hand. Remember, God's faith calls those things that be not as if they were. Abraham had to count it as good as done. Abraham departed from the familiar to the unfamiliar. He left one source, country, kindred, and his father's house, for a new source, God. Jesus taught us that when we forsake all for him, there is great reward. God is our source, not family, friends, employment, government, and so on. When God teaches us to walk by faith, He teaches us to trust Him for the provision. When we say we trust God, we can also count on the testing of our confession in order to make it a true walk of faith. Sometimes, the Lord needs to remove us from those who would wrongfully influence us from His direction. There are other influences besides people that we may need to be separated from, such as the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Throughout life many of us have been affected by them and lived according to their influence. A byproduct of being influenced by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches is questioning. It is more difficult to view spiritual things through naturally trained eyes. Focusing on worldly things can lead to fear. Maybe it's being concerned with losing worldly possessions that interferes with faith, or perhaps being more concerned with keeping one's position over living a godly life. Some are obsessed with paying bills on time in order to have a good name, which can lead to pride. This is not to say don't pay your bills on time. This isn't telling us to forget integrity. But we must realize that there is only one good name, and that name is Jesus. If we have Jesus, we have a good name. Think about it. Jesus said there is only one who is good. How many pay their bills on time and are even debt free and yet are very unloving? Is a good reputation a bad thing to have? If it brings us glory instead of God, it very may very well be. If we are more concerned with man's opinion than God's, we are in trouble. We have entered into the fear of man instead of the fear of the Lord. What is really important in life can be tainted by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. One of the deceits of riches is that there is never enough. Some can believe that when they reach a certain income level, they will be happy. But once that level is obtained, it is not enough anymore, because there is more to be had. It is a lust that is never satisfied, yet we are exhorted to be content with what we have. How much is enough? At what point do we finally become satisfied? What happens if we reach some pinnacle of prestige and wealth, and the Lord asks us to walk away from it all and follow Him? What would our response be? If this is a hard question to answer, it may be time to examine what is in your heart. It may be time to repent. A paradox to materialism is the belief that not having material riches is some sort of badge of honor, or it makes one more spiritual. It's similar to having pride in one's humility. It comes with the idea that if you avoid material riches at all costs, you will receive a bigger mansion in heaven because you were not materialistic. That is a twisted kind of materialism. Our rewards are based on obedience, not self-imposed sacrifices to make ourselves feel spiritual. Conversely, some believe that being rich is a sign of spirituality. Both views are unbalanced. 3 John 1 verse 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. The Lord does want us to prosper, but not to our hurt. Some can handle great amount of wealth because they are gifted in that area, which includes giving. They are not concerned with keeping it for themselves. They understand that there is a purpose behind it. It's God sending a blessing to someone who is a blessing so they may bless more. It is not about them chasing wealth. It's like wealth chasing them. They're dis- they've discovered that they cannot outgive God. Material wealth is not an idol for them. On the other hand, someone who does not have things in proper perspective may be destroyed by that same wealth. If being rich is a sign of spirituality, what about those who are well-to-do, but are strung out on drugs, or have committed suicide because of the emptiness inside of them? If we will look down on someone who is less fortunate or, conversely, look down on someone who is well-to-do, we've got some more examining the heart ahead of us. The question at this juncture is, are we content in whatever circumstances we find ourselves? If we are not, what happens if the Lord asks us to change circumstances? As Paul put it in Philippians 4, verse 11, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Essentially, God wants to separate you from anything or anyone that hinders you from being who He has called you to be and keeps you from filling your destiny. Sometimes that may mean a change of address, job, or vocation. It may mean the end of a relationship or the beginning of a new one. New circumstances often give new and fresh perspectives you would not otherwise have. Being taken out of your element can be a very good thing. Look at the result of what he is doing, especially when you feel uncomfortable with the circumstances in which you find yourself. Appearances and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and get you into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell you of. Genesis 22 verses 1 through 2. New question, what happens when the circumstances that surround the promise make it appear as if God is not in it at all? Like Abraham, there may be times when the Lord asks us to trust him regardless of the appearance. In fact, he may even ask us to do things that appear contrary to the promise. Think about it. Abraham waited 25 years and was 100 years old when Isaac was born. After having Isaac for a period of time, God would ask Abraham to trust him once again by asking him to sacrifice his only son. The concept of sacrifice was not foreign to Abraham, but sacrificing one's own son would be, since he did not come from a family that sacrificed humans. Even though Joshua 24 2 tells us that Abraham's father was an idol worshipper, there is no record of him being involved with human sacrifice. If Isaac was sacrificed, how could the promise come through him before having children? Now, there is a dilemma. Abraham was not only being asked to sacrifice Isaac, but he was being asked to trust him with the promise that was to come through Isaac. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do you anything unto him, for now I know you fear God, seeing. You have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That's Genesis 22, verses 9 through 12. Like Abraham, there may come a time when the Lord will bring us to the point of total commitment, the downstroke of the knife, before we hear from him again. Total commitment means following through with the direction given until its completion or until God gives more instruction. He may give an entirely new set of instructions or bring more clarity to an already existing course of action. Tying this together with Matthew 4 verse 4, where Jesus was in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, we learn another valuable principle. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We must allow for new or further instruction and stay open to God's voice as to not miss a new direction he may want us to implement or do something longer than his original intent. In Abraham's case, if he had carried out God's instruction longer than he intended, he would have killed Isaac. It could be that some have missed the promise or at least delayed it by not staying open. Abraham could have been unyielding and said, hey, just a minute, I'm not done. How many of us spouted off, God said, and missed further instructions? God only knows. But Abraham did listen, Isaac was spared, and the promise did come forth. Your reading this is evidence of its fulfillment. Again, obedience means to listen attentively with belief, while purposing to conform to the will of God out of love for him. Provision And Abraham lifted up his eyes, And looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because you have done this thing, And have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And they shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Genesis 22 verses 13 through 18. When Abraham was tested, one simple question was answered. Did he fear God? The fear of God is the beginning of both knowledge and wisdom. There were other questions that could have been posed. Did he love God more than the promise? Did Abraham freely serve God, or did he want God to serve him? What about us? Do we try to get him to live up to our expectations? How much do we withhold from God based upon any so-called lack of performance on His part? Does God really have to earn our love? Does this spill into our relationships with others? In all honesty, withholding love, affection, obedience and so on to get our way is a form of manipulation and a sign of immaturity. At what point do we allow God to be God in our lives and do things on His terms? When the events look impossible and unreasonable It is time to look for God in the event and find out what He is doing in it. As James 1 verse 5 states, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given him. Furthermore, Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths." Be not wise in your eyes. He is not some unreasonable, cruel God. He is Abba, Daddy, Father. When we ask for wisdom, He doesn't chide us or reprimand us for it. He is not reluctant to give. He gives it liberally. When we look at things from a humanistic standpoint, the things of God can look backwards or upside down. The reality is His ways and methods are always perfect. More often than not, we are the ones who have things backwards and upside down. How many times have we heard it said that we must face reality as if the things of God, such as faith, are not reality? But that is backwards. We have to look at the things of the Spirit if we're going to face true reality. Of course, after growing up in a materialistic world with all its trappings, the things of the Spirit could seem like fantasy at times but let's put things in perspective. The things of this world are temporal and the things of the Spirit are eternal. What came first? God's faith and His spoken word or heaven and earth? Think about it. God spoke heaven and earth into existence. His word brought forth the material reality we're familiar with. Which one is greater? Remember, When there appears to be a lack in any given area, God will always make provision for the promise and have purpose in the process. We don't necessarily have to understand everything in order to trust and obey His voice. Just know that He is faithful who promised. For whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Romans 15 verse 4 During our times of testing, before we begin to feel overwhelmed, it pays to get into the Word of God. Not only does it renew our mind, it brings us peace and hope, especially when we find that there were numerous people who faced adversities far more extreme than our own. For instance, another prominent figure who endured severe hardship would be Joseph. Joseph had God-given dreams that revealed he was to rule over Jacob's entire household, including all his brothers. Yet his very own brother sold him into slavery, after which he endured false accusation and imprisonment. Everything appeared to be opposite of the promise. Nonetheless, in the process of time, Joseph's character had been proven, and he would eventually become second only to Pharaoh in authority over all Egypt. From this position, he would eventually save his father's household from famine and, and, and indeed rule over them. Take the time to study Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Look at the attitude Joseph maintained to the very end. When their father Jacob had passed on, his brothers became very afraid Joseph would take vengeance upon them. Notwithstanding, Joseph responded differently than they anticipated. Fear not, for am, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Another related verse of Scripture is Romans 8, verse 28, where it says, All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. What about Jesus Himself? It didn't look very good when He was on the cross, did it? Yet, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and set and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It can be very easy for us to become self-absorbed when facing various trials. We can overlook the fact that often the things we go through are not only for our benefit, but for that of others as well. Just as we find hope in reading about others who have preceded us in trials, there are those who find comfort in seeing us endure various trials. Gee. If they can endure hardship and still gain the promise, so can I. When we're walking by faith, we need to view things from the standpoint of faith. Too often, the devil gets way too much credit and attention in the believer's lives. Therefore, very little time is given to him in this book. When we ask God to make us more like Jesus, and He begins the process of it, things can get rather uncomfortable from time to time. We'll it. Dress the process in greater detail later. Suffice to say, occasionally it feels like all hell is breaking loose in our life. During these times, people begin to blame the devil for their woes. The devil is attacking me, I tell you. Listen very carefully. If we're in the palm of God's hand, what is the devil doing there? One of the things Jesus did while on the cross was take away the devil's authority. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Think about this one. Who kicked Satan out of heaven? It was Michael, the archangel, who was his peer. God himself didn't even bother with him. Moreover, we have God dwelling in us through Holy Spirit. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the keys of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 2. Please notice that it says an angel. It doesn't say God, nor does it even say an archangel. It's not a company of angels either. It's just one. I'm not taking anything away from angels. A single angel sent from God is a force to be reckoned with but it's time But it's time to put things in perspective. If the devil is able to do anything more than hinder us, there's a good chance we've invited him in. 1 Peter 5 verses 8 through 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. First of all, The devil is not a roaring lion, but he would like us to believe he is the lion. Secondly, and this is important to grasp, he seeks whom he may devour. It's permissive. He's looking for those who will let him into their lives. He has no authority to enter our lives and devour us unless he is given permission. Could he touch Adam and Eve before the fall? Absolutely not. He can only deceive them. Could he touch Job without God's permission? Again, no. Interestingly, when Job was afflicted by the devil, Job did not even acknowledge him. When we examine the prayers of the New Testament, we don't find any of them even mentioning the devil. Faith says God is in control and He has our best interest at heart. Fear and unbelief says that the devil is in control. Again, Looking at Abraham, we find that both the test and the provision were to benefit others, including us. This is evidenced by Genesis 22, verse 18. In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, and become because you obeyed my voice. When Abraham was proven, the provision was provided. Isaac, as Abraham's seed, would point to the ultimate provision The Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten Son, of whom it was said, That in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. Even Abraham understood the concept of the resurrection. However, Isaac could not be sacrificed as a burnt offering because a sacrifice unto God had to be without blemish or sin. Later, animal sacrifices would be incorporated into the Law of Moses for sin offerings, but, as we read in Hebrews 10 verses 1 through 20, we learn no such sacrifice would ever be sufficient. Abraham was willing to give his son as a sacrifice, but couldn't. As he lifted up his eyes, he would look to God the Father who would give his son as the sacrifice. As Jesus himself stated, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Another awesome thing happened as the result of Abraham's obedience. God would call him his friend. When the Lord gives us a promise, what will we do? When he asks us to obey him, will we? Will we trust him regardless of the circumstances? What do we do if the Lord asks us to sacrifice the promise? Do we hang on to it tighter, or do we release it? You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. John 15, verse 14. We too can be known as friends of God. How awesome is that? And that concludes chapter 14 in our series, Perfect Faith, His Faith, Not Ours an audio version of the book podcast style. I hope this has been beneficial to you, and we're going to wrap it up right here and now. But before you go, if you hadn't already, maybe subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. So in the meantime, may the Lord bless you, cause His light to shine upon you. May He bring you more clarity than you've ever experienced before, giving you the revelation of the knowledge of His perfect will without wisdom and power and might and spiritual understanding in the name of Jesus. Be blessed, my friend.